Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast that looks at the films of action icon Dolph Lundgren. Today we're taking a look back at 1999's Bridge of Dragons. In this action romance, Lundgren plays Warchild, a mercenary working for an evil, power-mad general who has a change of heart after he falls in love with the princess he was entrusted to bring back. There is a place where the future meets the past. A bridge of dragons. Dolph Lundgren. Carrie Tagawa, Rachel Shane, in a time when peace and freedom turned to chaos and destruction, a soldier was chosen to lead his people out of the darkness. Perfect waiting gift. What do you think you're doing, soldier? Torn between loyalty to his general and the woman he loves. Can't kill Richard. Get out! But I can. Of dragons. Joining me to discuss this amalgam of various settings and fantasy worlds is Ben Johnson, host of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Ben, it is an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on for this one, man. Thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, and before we before we get rolling, I just have to give you major props. The Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. This is one podcast that I listen to regularly. How long have you been doing it now? Uh, th- thank you, Sean. Um, yeah, so I guess the podcast itself has been running for a couple of years now. Uh, 2016, I think, was when it started. Um, and the actual website itself, it sort of branched out of a uh, blog that I'd created just to sort of host a lot of martial arts movie reviews because I'm quite into martial arts movies obviously uh and um uh it was just a way of sort of sharing that passion really so yeah the podcast sort of was born out of um out of the website and yeah i've been doing it for yeah two two years now 
Well, that's awesome because I feel like you and I are quite similar to an extent where we we both decided to pursue our love of a specific genre. Well, in, in your case, it's a genre. In my case, it's a it's an action star. But you know, they're both uh, they're both related in a way. And so I think it's amazing. And you have gotten some amazing interviews. I have to give you the utmost props. You've interviewed Scott Atkins now what twice. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been quite fortunate to have uh, got Scott on the show twice now. Yeah, so um, I, I messaged him recently and said that we should try and make it a yearly thing. Oh man, <laughs> so that's awesome! If we, can get, if we can get him on uh, next year. That'll be that'll be really cool. Well, and I'm especially envious of you because you got to interview Talek himself, the the evil alien uh, Matthias Hughes. How, how did you yeah. how, how did you line that one up? <laughs> Uh, Matthias came about through, I think it was just through Twitter, or I think I noticed that we were following each other. Uh, and it was one of those things where, you know, you just sort of send these messages out there, don't you, Sean? Just sort of hope that, you know, whoever, you know, sort of picks it up and, uh, gets back to you. But yeah, I was lucky with, uh, Matthias. That was, that was a really cool interview as well. And he's very, you know, he's got so many stories as well of just sort of, working in Hollywood at that time, trying to make it, hanging out in Gold's gym and, you know, Arnie's in there and, um, you know, trying to make it in, in Hollywood. He's got some really great stories, which I think he's turning into a book as well, which I noticed um, uh, he's uh, currently uh, writing at the moment. So, yeah, that was that was a great interview to be able to um, talk to Matthias. And, yeah, obviously his sort of breakout role in Dark Angel, which I'm, I know you've covered on the uh, on the podcast, one of Dolph's finest. Yes, yes, <laughs> most definitely. Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. And I noticed now right now, at least judging from your previous episode, you said that you're taking a, a very brief hiatus. Is that right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's quite a bit of work to obviously put these things together. And, you know, it's nice to just sort of go on a little bit of a break every now and again. Um, and I try and aim to do a sort of, uh, season at a time, which is full of about 10 episodes per season, although it does, that does depend. Um, so there is a little bit of a break at the moment, but yeah, hopefully, yeah, get the ball rolling again early, early in the new year. We've got a Christmas special coming up, of course. Uh, so, um, that's going to be recorded in a couple of weeks time. Uh, and hoping for that to land on Christmas Eve around that time. Uh, with Mike Fury, of course, author of Life of Action. I know he's appeared on this uh, podcast as well, Sean. So, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, he sends his regards as well, by the way. Oh, very cool. Yeah, no, Mike Mike was awesome. And I was fortunate Mike was able to come on and we discussed another one of those films that Lundgren did in that 90s period that I think kind of went under the radar, uh, Pentathlon. And so, yeah. so which Pentathlon could not be more different from the film that we're going to discuss today. So, yeah. but I'm curious, um, with regard to our man of the hour, okay, so Dolph Lundgren, where has he ranked for you in terms of some of your favorite action stars? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Dolph's definitely in there, isn't he? I mean, uh, I would say I, I sort of grew up on, uh, well, initially Bruce Lee films, and then that's uh then of course being a child in, of the of the 80s growing up in the 90s van damme was very uh prevalent uh growing up so uh blood sport kickboxer and obviously universal soldier and i was trying to wrap my brains as to the first time dolph lundgren film i would have seen i guess it would have been universal soldier which is a pretty decent one to uh to start with and then um yeah absolutely dolph is is always been someone that i've whose career i've dipped in and out of uh, and it's fantastic to see, obviously, in the past 
uh, year or so that, um, you know, he's getting back into that sort of mainstream, uh, Hollywood's, uh, career with, um, you know, with, uh, Aquaman, uh, coming up as well in Creed 2. That's really great to sort of see his star on the, uh, on the rise again. So that's, that's a great, um, uh, you know, a bit of symmetry there in, in his career that's that's going on at the moment. Especially for fans like you and I who have followed these guys throughout that period where they were, I, I guess, I, I hate to use this analogy, but working in the trenches, if you will, of direct-to-video cinema. Yeah. And so to see, uh, you know, someone like Dolph to have just this gigantic year with these two movies opening up within a month of each other, considering where he's been I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I just have a smile on my face. I think this is going to be the most yeah. amazing year. And looking, you know, going to Scott Atkins, I mean, there's another guy who has had an impressive career, has the skills, and I think it's a matter of time, but we're going to see him headlining some big Hollywood, big budget stuff here soon. Yeah. And, and when that happens, yeah. I think it's going to be the same thing, you know? Yeah. Well, Scott's an interesting one. I mean, you know, obviously being flying the flag for UK action stars and UK martial arts uh, movie stars. Um, but, you know, uh, Scott has, you know, he's such a hard worker and he's appeared, <clears throat> you know, in, in so many films and he has made sort of uh, inroads into Hollywood and um, Doctor Strange and even in the Expendables films with, with Dolph. He's worked with Dolph a, a few times. Um, but yeah, that sort of breakout role in Hollywood has always slightly eluded him, which is, really bizarre when you go to places like China and particularly in uh, Eastern Europe, um, he is, you know, he's an absolute megastar out there. Um, and it's just fascinating that, you know, he's winning awards for his Boyka films over in China and, uh, you know, getting awards uh, from Jackie Chan and the Jackie Chan stunt team out in China. And he's appearing in It Man 4 as well. He's the main baddie in that that's coming out next year. Uh, and yet Hollywood still, you know, it's 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 really bizarre. You know, he still hasn't had that sort of breakout role. But, you know, hopefully next year, Triple Threat coming out as well. That's an all-star martial arts movie um, that Scott's involved in and obviously It Man 4 as well. So, yeah, you, you know, we some uh, big things on the horizon, I reckon. For now, with regard to the film that we're going to be discussing today, I know that when I reached out to you a while back and, you know, I kind of told you about my show and you graciously agreed to appear on. So, again, thank you for that. But I know that when I uh, when, when I gave you the list of films that we had, you know, that were going to be coming up in the pipeline, um, Bridge of Dragons was yeah. the one that you pretty much handpicked out of that batch. And so I'm curious, why Bridge of Dragons? Why do you have an affinity for this film? Yeah, um, it was, wasn't it? Because we did, we were, we were talking for a while as to which one to yeah. go for. Um, well, I, so, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to martial arts films in particular. That's the kind of, uh, you know, thing that I'm into. I'm running on comfymoveguide.com. Uh, and Dolph's career has obviously, you know, the guy's a karate, uh, expert, former karate champ. Uh, and his films have always dabbled in the martial arts. Some are more full blown martial arts films than others. Um, and particularly something like Shodan in Little Tokyo, obviously, is, uh, is, is very much uh, a martial arts orientated film, as are uh, quite a few others. But uh, Bridge of Dragons always uh, struck me as being, you know, quite big in the martial arts as well. Um, and I remember seeing this film as well when it could only have been a few years maybe after it came out. And I feel like it was on a late night cable channel here in the UK. Um, you know, one of those like 
I don't know. I don't know what it would have been called, Bravo or something, uh, where they show these like action movies at like one in the morning. Um, and I do remember recording it and then you know watching it uh, the next day and just thinking, hmm, that was interesting. It's <laughs> funny uh, actually coming on this show and then going back and revisiting this movie. Uh, I actually enjoyed it a lot more seeing it again, uh, probably with the benefit of hindsight and obviously seeing. Um, you know, where a lot of the people involved in making this movie have sort of um, uh, what they've progressed onto, particularly uh, the director, uh, Isaac Florentine. Uh, and I'm a big fan of his work as well. So, um, yeah, you know, that's a roundabout way of answering your question, but it, it's always been a title that's um, sort of jumped out at me, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it was great to uh, revisit it. You know, I, I, my experience actually was quite similar to yours, actually. I first saw this. Uh, it premiered on HBO, yet I was a cable-deprived child uh, <laughs> of this time. So yeah. I didn't have HBO, so I had to wait for the VHS release. And with regard to the VHS release, there really wasn't anything too spectacular about it. But interestingly, I do remember that it's only VHS and DVD release, at least here in the States, was also put out by HBO. And to my knowledge, I think it is the only film in Dolph's filmography to be distributed on home media by HBO. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, it, it's yeah, it's just a, it's it's an interesting one to um, I mean, do you where where do you think this sort of ranks then, would you say, as a uh, as, as a Dolph Lundgren uh, fan? Where, would you say this ranks quite highly in his filmography? Well, you know, this is. Okay, so we're we're kind of getting to the end of the recommendation, but yeah, you know, it's interesting because yeah. I think I think Dolph is great in it, and Dolph is doing what Dolph does. I mean, he's kicking ass, and he's I mean, outside of Showdown a Little Tokyo, I think this film he actually does the most martial arts that we've ever had the pleasure of seeing yeah. him do. You know, this is if you look at his character, actually, this is pretty familiar territory for Dolph. I mean, I think by this point in his career, he had. He had gotten pretty accustomed to playing this type of character, you know, this mercenary who works for the bad guy, who is hired to do something that is a little immoral, and then his conscience along the way gets swayed, you know. And so this is this is he's basically playing that same type of character, that same type of formula. Um, I think what what makes this one to me just so bizarre is it adds something completely new to that formula, and this time it puts the formula into a pseudo fairy tale world complete with a princess. And so that's one of the things that while yeah. I do enjoy the film, but I was going to be getting to this, the setting of this thing is it's bonkers. It is completely bananas. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what is going on with the setting of this particular film. Um, yeah. I mean, that was one of the questions I wrote down on my notes was you know where where is this supposed to be because it's not really even clear the main title card i think says something like somewhere in the not too where the future, future meets the past yeah and you're like where the future meets the past yeah so and it's written in this kind of medieval style yeah, what does that mean so you're like okay yeah <laughs> no idea um so that's kind of interesting but it's doing this kind of retro futuristic thing where it's kind of a fairy tale but sort of set in the future so they can get away with having lots of explosions and lots of heavy artillery and gunfire um so i don't know i think this is a film where they were trying to have their cake and eat it in a way do this sort of old-fashioned um sort of swashbuckling fairy tale 
uh, setting, but then still have all the mod cons of being able to, you know, produce these extravagant action scenes. I guess that's probably well, what they were see, thinking. And that's, that's one of the things that I found to be slightly distracting. You know, I mean, it's set in this in this mm. alternate universe reality, you know, it, it, it wants to be post-apocalyptic, yet there's also this fairy tale element. And I honestly think it really should have stuck with one or the other. I mean, obviously, this is of a lower budget yeah. than some of the other big action films that were coming at the time. So I think what they could have done is they could have just kept it completely post-apocalyptic considering, you know, a lot of these films like to do yeah. things on the cheap. So if they would have made it in the post-apocalyptic world, that might have been the probably the best option from a production standpoint. I honestly think the film could have done one of three settings. I think it could have been a, a, a straight-up fairy tale universe in medieval times, kind of going along with that font that we saw at the beginning, yeah. and make Dolph Lundgren's character like a knight of some kind. I also think it could yeah. have been a period piece set in World War One Europe. And I only say this because of the vehicles that are used and the various military attire, all the soldiers and then and our main villain, mm. Ru Chang. I mean, they look like something out of, you know, out of, out of Europe in, you know, during that during that period of World War One. Yeah. Or like I said, they could have they could have made it yeah. in a post-apocalyptic world and to where Ru Chang is the is the source for all of the world's plague and all of, you know, all the um, disaster and chaos that we see. The, th the big issue, though, is that it's trying to do all of these worlds and it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting that the 90s seem to have this fascination with um, these dystopian future settings uh, for its action movies. And I think, you know, the, the, um, the long shadow of Terminator 2 and films like, um, you know, Cyborg and all of that, kind of thing sort of still lingers over a lot of particularly the lower budget straight to video stuff that was um you know being produced by this is new image but also later um incarnation of uh, millennium films uh you know a lot of their movies were dealing with similar subject matter um and you see this trait throughout even in isaac florentine's career so the the movie he made before this uh was called cold harvest and that's a uh, uh, Gary Daniels movie, who's a great, another great British uh, martial arts action star. Um, but the this, this, the story in that, that was similar to Bridge of Dragons in that, you know, that was set in this retro futuristic world. Um, but the setting there, the, the genre that they'd settled on was a cowboy film. Um, and I, Isaac Florentine is a big fan of Sergio Leone and a lot of those spaghetti westerns. So that kind of made sense. Um, and here they seem to be doing the similar, apocalyptic uh you know dystopian future thing but instead of a cowboy setting they've gone for a sort of medieval yeah um you know fairy tale adventure type setting which yeah it kind of sometimes works and sometimes doesn't you have these characters that are talking in this very strange british <laughs> accents uh you know there's a Marion vibe going on with the princess and she's locked in the tower she has to marry the evil you know general and all this stuff so um you know it's a real hodgepodge of things going on but it, but on the whole it's quite a fun movie sean do you do you agree with that i, I mean i oh I'm no i, I agree completely it. i mean first of all it has dolph i mean and when you when you have yeah. someone like when you have a presence like dolph lundgren on screen that's going to elevate it and i think the other yeah. the other person who who helps make this thing stand out compared to so much of the other uh, compared to the other projects that uh, Lundgren was doing around this time is Isaac Florentine. And you already touched upon Isaac Florentine, but I think he mm -hmm. is easily one of the best directors, especially of action cinema 
working today. He has such a, a flashy visual style. Yeah. How would you describe the uh, the directing style of Isaac Florentine? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd love to talk to Isaac. He's someone who'd, who I'd love to have on the podcast. And um, uh, he's, I guess, probably most uh, well known for uh, not discovering Scott Adkins, but certainly um, giving Scott Adkins his um, uh, uh, the the best sort of platform, I guess, um, in discovering him for his films. Uh, first of all, Special Forces, he casted uh, Scott in that. It's a 2003 Isaac Florentine movie. But then later, uh, he fought pretty hard to get Scott um, as the main villain in uh, Undisputed 2, uh, which introduced this character of Yuri Boyka. Um, this Russian uh, mixed martial artist and uh, inmate uh, in in the prison setting there, and he, you know, this was the breakout role really for Scott, and um, that's uh, spiraled into obviously the subsequent undisputed um, sequels. Uh, but very much it was a combination of you know Scott's talent as a martial artist and as an actor and what he brought to that movie. But yes, definitely this. Um, the the style of directing that Isaac Florentine has, which has very much been nurtured from uh, a background in television. Um, so uh, Isaac sort of started um, Israeli-born filmmaker who moved to the States, I think, in the late 80s, something around that, um, and first of all found work doing a lot of second unit stuff and a lot of fight choreography um, because Isaac's background is as a karate expert. Um, he he ran his own schools uh, in Israel. Um, so once he moves to the States, he's getting work as uh, working on second units. He's doing fight choreography and he lands this big uh, role doing second unit for the Power Rangers. Um, so that initial uh, series that uh, uh, started in America, he was filming all of the uh, second unit doing uh, all the fight scenes, working with all the stunt people. Uh, on a lot of the shows there when when that um, TV show started. And that was very much uh, the set the groundwork for his visual style. And you can go back and watch those early episodes of the Power Rangers that Isaac Florentine's working on, and you can see similar setups and all the tricks and all of the, um, you know, the way that he shoots very low angle. Uh, Isaac is very uh, well known for showing, uh, you know, full extent of movement. He's not one who's uh, just going to set the camera up in a master um, shot and then just cut into it. He's very, um, he's he's sort of seen as a bit of a pioneer for allowing the camera to be as much part of the choreography um, as you know the actual performers um, uh, in the movie. So you see a bit of that here. You see quite a bit more of. Uh, Dolph's uh, kicks uh, and his martial arts abilities and it's captured so beautifully just because Isaac does have this background as a martial artist but also you know he he is uh, he knows how to film this stuff just from his background you know working in Power Rangers and doing you know a lot of this you know I'm so glad you brought that up yeah because I mean <clears throat> when you're watching a fight scene that is directed by by Florentine you know it's amazing because he mixes slow motion with all of a sudden really fast cuts so he'll, you know what I mean? So yeah, so he'll have, you know, a slow motion yeah. shot and then it'll immediately speed up to about three times that, you know, and it's, and it's interesting you mentioned the Power Rangers because yeah, he's gone on record as saying Power Rangers, that was like his laboratory, you know, that is where he learned all of the tricks of the trade. And it's amazing yeah. because I hadn't seen this film in a few years 
And watching it again recently in preparation for this, you know, my little boy, I have a, a two-year-old little boy at home, and he loves the Power Rangers. I mean, he, he adores that show. And so he yeah. is constantly watching the Power Rangers. And it's amazing because the show is pretty ridiculous. I mean, it's a prime example of idiocy. But the one thing that the, that the show really gets right are those fight scenes. And so it's amazing because I was watching Bridge mm. of Dragons and I was like, oh, my God, this this has the same feel and the same style as the Power Rangers. And I mean, and you can tell that, I mean, they came from yeah. that same lab, from that same house. The, the visual style of both Power Rangers and Blood of Dragons parallel one another almost eerily. I mean, the, the way the camera will zoom in on a character's face mid fight. It's almost extremely reminiscent of those Kung Fu films from the 1970s. Yeah, just on the on the visual style. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this film also shares um, the uh, fight choreographer Yuji Noguchi uh, did actually work on uh, those um, uh, Power Rangers uh, episodes as well and worked in with Isaac on a lot of his early uh, film work as well. So there is that crossover there. Um, Isaac is someone who's known for working with a lot of the same people. So he'll bring a lot of the stunt people that he's working on through his previous projects to his new projects as well. Um, and you're right. He, he was, I, I read an interview with him where he was talking about, you know, in this period in his career in the nineties, you know, he came up against quite a lot of uh, resistance from, um, you know, the way uh, in the way that he was filming his fight scenes. Um, and, you know, traditionally, yes, you, you film a master shot, um, that you get the performers to do the full fight scene, the full choreography. Uh, and then, you know, you do that again from different angles, or then you cut in for close ups. Whereas Isaac was saying, no, 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 this isn't how it should be done, that the camera should definitely be involved in, you know, close up in the fight scenes, um, and just deal with the choreography section by section, very much like they were doing in Hong Kong, you know, for the previous 20 years before that, uh, you know, Isaac very much inherited that way of filming fight scenes and brought that into America. It's something you see so much nowadays with these long take fight scenes, you see them in Atomic Blonde or, you know, whatever the, the movie is or was then inherited, say, through, you know, on back and even in the raid. It's exactly the way that Gareth Evans films his fight scenes. But, you know, Isaac started doing this in the 90s into the early 2000s and really did pioneer that with his Undisputed franchise, which comes, you know, a, a few years after this. Um, but you can certainly see that visual style in Bridge of Dragons. And it really, you know, it really stands oh, out. Most definitely. Movie, I mean, like I said, uh, this, I think. It, it is, I would honestly say it is Isaac Florentine's directing style that helps elevate this. I mean, you know, on the previous episodes, we looked at, uh, well, we looked at The Peacekeeper and we looked at Sweepers. And these are all films that were also also done by New Image. I should probably say that Bridge of Dragons was Dolph's third film with New Image, but I think it is Isaac Florentine's directing style that helps elevate it above those other films exponentially. I'm pretty sure that this film was filmed in Bulgaria, which seems to be the preferred shooting place for um, Millennium and New Image. Yeah, so my understanding is that this was the first film that Millennium Films had actually used their Bulgaria uh, lots and the studios that they'd um, acquired there. Um, 
Millennium Films now actually own this uh, film uh, studio, uh, this studio space in Bulgaria, but they they didn't at this time. So I think this is the first time that they'd used this space. Uh, and it's funny because Isaac Florentine said that this movie in particular is the film that gave him grey hair. Uh, because it was uh, quite a, a stressful production initially, um, whereas Isaac was used to working uh, in the former studios in South Africa that Millennium Films were using. That's where Cold Harvest was filmed, the Gary Daniels movie. Um, and then for Bridge of Dragons, I believe the assumption was that they would continue to use the lot in South Africa. Um, but then for whatever reason, um, uh, I believe an incident or something happens at that South Africa studio, which then made it not possible to film there. And then at the last minute, the filming location changed to the studio in Bulgaria, which is actually quite fascinating because Millennium Films actually own this studio now. Uh, and there's loads of different lots there. Uh, so Millennium Films, who are the company behind, you know, the um, Olympus Has Fallen and London Has Fallen and the Expendables franchise and uh, Undisputed as well. They've recently bought the Rambo franchise as well. So all the recent um, Stallone Rambo films are Millennium Films as well. And they're all shot on this studio space in Bulgaria. So, you know, you watch London Has Fallen, you see the London Underground signs and you're like, Wait a second, that doesn't quite, <laughs> that doesn't ring quite true. And that's because that'll be a, uh, you know, a studio space they dressed up in Bulgaria to make it look, uh, look like London. Uh, so that's what's happening here. But obviously this is what Isaac said sort of stressed him out because he wasn't used to filming in this space. And apparently when all the cast and crew sort of landed in Bulgaria to make this thing. The other thing that stressed Isaac out was that they had sacked the original writer uh, and the original script that they'd all been given for this movie was changed at the very last minute. Um, and so not only had, you know, they landed in a space that they weren't used to, Isaac was filming before, he had a whole script to deal with as well. So, uh, uh, so it's quite, quite interesting, but it's a good window into like what happens on these lower budget films. And how quickly these things can can change. Well, one of the things you do have to appreciate about the film is how it just dives right into the action, and you know yeah. that only makes sense. Um, the it just the the film starts off, and we have an action sequence, and we're introduced to Dolph Lundgren's character Warchild. Which can we just say right now, the best name that Dolph Lundgren has ever had the the pleasure <laughs> of having for one of his films. Um, but yeah, he is this mercenary who's employed by General Ru Chang, uh, played by Kerry Tagawa. He rules this oppressed land. I don't know about you, but I thought it was really cool to see Lundgren and Tagawa uh, reunite once again after Showdown a Little Tokyo. I think, you know, um, in Showdown a Little Tokyo, Kerry Tagawa was such a despicable, just evil v villain. And so to see him come back once again playing the antagonist was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a massive Kerry Tagawa fan and, uh, you know, he, cro he crops up in just so many iconic martial arts films of this period, uh, and, and still ongoing as well. His career, you know, has really spanned from, you know, the B movie action stuff to a lot of the, you know, the big budget, uh, movies that he uh, has appeared in as well. Uh, he's just, uh, you know, I think he's one of, there's a great interview actually in Mike's, Mike Fury's book, Life of Action with Kerry Tagawa. And Mike does talk to him a little bit about this idea of being typecast and how he feels about that. And he's very, in, in, in the interview, he's very, 
you know, open and he's very, you know, he feels that, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's hopefully paved the way for lots of other sort of uh, Asian American actors in Hollywood. Uh, and undoubtedly, he is someone who is the sort of iconic go-to villain role. <laughs> uh, but he's very dramatic and theatrical and what he brings to those roles in particularly you know, as he highlights in that interview with Mike, that they're predominantly quite two-dimensional characters that he's dealing with in a lot of the sort of B-movie action stuff that he was doing. But there's one thing you can guarantee if Kerry Tagawa is in that movie, he is elevating that role as the bad guy. He's always super intense and he brings his A-game and he totally does here as well. He's just a really great screen presence. Um, I have a personal soft spot for... Kerry Tagawa as Shang Tsung in uh, the Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, I think he's absolutely wonderful in that movie. So uh, he'll always be Shang Tsung to me. Uh, but yeah, as you say, Showdown in Little Tokyo. I mean, he's appeared in so, so many movies um, uh, since then as well. And this is a great sort of role for him. He doesn't do a lot of the heavy lifting here. I think this is very much Dolph's movie. And there's big sections of the movie where uh, Kerry Tagawa isn't in it. That whole section where you know Dolph goes off to the to the village and the, all the scenes with Valerie Chow. Um, but you know we do get a great scrap at the end between uh, Dolph and Kerry Tagawa. So that's that's really good to see as well. One of the things that I've always just had to laugh at about this film is the helicopters. So the helicopters and all of the tanks. That, yeah. that the Ru Chang and his soldiers um, use and maneuver throughout the film. They all have 666 on the sides. In case it was ever in question that Ru Chang and his army were evil, well, they're going to yeah. have the, the, the symbol of Satan on, yeah. <laughs> on their helicopters. <laughs> I love, yeah, the, the helicopter chase scene is quite, it's, it's kind of a weird one because, um, you know, he's, he's war, uh, Dolph Lundgren's playing this character War Child. So, uh, you know, he's obviously indestructible, a sort of one man army. Uh, uh, and then he sort of, he just jumps in the helicopter and immediately knows how to pilot this thing. I think he, he does allude to the fact he's like, oh, I've never, I've never piloted one of these things before. And then there he is doing these amazing maneuvers and he manages to land the thing and he's avoiding, you know, the gunfire from the other helicopters. That's, that, that's a particular highlight for me, that part of the movie. Well, you know, regarding Kerry Tagawa as a villain, I mean, yeah, you, we, we said it. He is still one scary villain. I mean, you, you yeah. watch him. He has this look in his eyes that I think, I mean, he can act so well with his eyes. But, you know, one, one of his opening scene in the film, he challenges one of these rebels. We haven't really talked about it yet. Um, there, there is a rebel uprising against Ru Chang and and, you know, his the government that he has established. And so uh, War Child is one of is the lead mercenary working for Ru Chang. And so they're mm. in to, uh, to, to stop this rebel uprising. But when Ru Chang comes in to kind of marvel at the work of his mercenaries, he challenges one of these rebels to combat. And the rebel is no match for Ru Chang. And Ru Chang just pretty much slices his throat the slices the rebel's throat with his sword i mean and it's 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 at this point letting you know in, in case it was ever in question i feel like terry tagawa is one of those actors who when you cast him it's pretty much a given that he's going to be a villain but in case that was not known by this point in the film he's going to be your lead baddie so yeah yeah but I, I what i'd not seen very much of as well is um that dynamic between the hero and the villain because uh war child is is 
portrayed initially in the film as being someone who was uh, taken under Ru Chang's wing. So he's this orphan child. He's been raised to be a super killer, an assassin, uh, hence the name War Child. Uh, and he's grown up within the ranks and sort of being, uh, you know, Ru Chang's sort of number one henchman, really, and doing all of his dirty work for him. So it's it, it was interesting to see that, um, you know, Dolph's character here is actually a baddie at the start. Uh, and it takes him a good sort of portion of the movie until he actually meets the princess and starts falling in love with her. But that's where his sort of humanity comes from. Uh, and then eventually he betrays Ru Chang. But I thought that was quite a nice... Uh, dynamic. You don't normally see that power shift happen in a lot of these films. Um, yes. So, uh, and and you know that I thought that was quite an interesting sort of twist to to, to this film. You know, I like that as well. I, I like the fact. I mean, and they don't give a whole lot of time to it. But I'm with you 100. percent You know, I thought the backstory that they provided on War Child's character was great. You know, like you said, mm. Ruching Ruching basically, you know, quote unquote, rescued. Warchild from a life of hard labor and put him in the military and essentially turned him into a trained killer. I like this yeah. characteristic that they provided with Warchild. I almost wonder if maybe the film would be more effective if this would have been the entire story and they omitted the element with the princess. Mm, mm. It's yeah, it's interesting. There's lots of different things that are, are warring for your attention in this movie. Like I kind of felt that. Um, that that wasn't really fully delved into and you're right that whole upbringing and how he became this sort of ultimate badass i think is quite an interesting thing and it's slightly skimmed over um but then equally i thought it was the the the, the position of the princess is quite interesting because you know on the one hand she uh, has to sort of govern this village wherever the heck this film is set uh, but she's supposed <laughs> to be you know, sort of in charge, or there seems to be some monarchy over overlording this this place. Um, Kerry Tagawa's character, Ru Chang, is this military dictator almost that wants to, you know, usurp and take over leadership um, by, I guess, eventually, what, marrying marrying the princess to then overthrow the monarchy i can i didn't quite understand what what why didn't he just kill the royal family and just in make himself the the evil ruler like i didn't quite understand why he didn't do that um but you, you know i mean there's lots of questions we could ask about this film really sean isn't there <laughs> let's be honest yeah you know that like i said the setting is probably the biggest detractor the way it goes back and forth but yeah, um, yeah. and we haven't really talked about her heck of a lot but valerie chow here she is credited as rachel shane but she plays the character of Halo, who is yeah. the princess. I mean, she is she is beautiful. I mean, let's face it. I mean, she is just absolutely beautiful. And I guess she acted in a ton of films in Hong Kong, tried mm. her hand at a few American productions, but essentially retired from film altogether. Uh, she mm. was signed on by Revlon later on and is now working full time as a uh, as a fashion publicist. Yeah. 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 Valerie Chow Ling. So yeah, Hong Kong actor. She was in Chungking Express, the Wong Gar Wei film. Um, but I do remember I've seen she's in The Blade as well, which is Choi Hark's um, remake of One-Armed Swordsman. So, and that's that's a great movie. Uh, and I know she's in uh, High Risk as well, which is a, 
uh, Jet Li movie from the mid nineties as well. So yeah, she crops up in quite a few Hong Kong movies, but yeah, my understanding is that she then relocated to Hollywood around the late nineties to try and make it, uh, in Hollywood productions, this being one of them. Um, yeah, and changed her name from Valerie Chow to uh, what she records it. Rachel, Rachel Shane is that? That's, that's Rachel Shane. Rachel yeah. Shane. Um, so, so that's interesting. I guess some agency probably thought, oh, you know, if you have this kind of ambiguous Western name, then you know, I don't know whether you know her fortunes would have been better off in Hollywood or something. I don't, I don't quite know the the decision process there. But um, yeah, um, she, as you say, yeah, so she became quite well known as a model over in America, and then retired from uh, movies altogether in the early two thousands. Um, I think she's great here, and that's another thing that's um, great about Isaac's films is that he he never the way he deals with his female characters, particularly um, in uh, you know action B movies from the nineties, which are predominantly aimed at you know a young male audience. Um, the role for women is either non-existent or quite um you know prejudicial uh shall we say um it's certainly not fully rounded characters but here you do get to see you know um a, a, f a female character which at least has you know she's conflicted between you know her duty as trying to run this village but also she harbors this uh ambition to actually go out and live amongst the village uh folk uh, and she almost sort of leads a rebellion at one point in this film when she finally does escape from the palace. Um, and, you know, th there's a great scene where she sneaks out of the, the palace uh, early on in the movie. She puts on a cloak and goes and yeah. fights weird, like, <laughs> uh, underground sort of kendo um, fight tournament thing. I'm not, not too sure what that was, but that was a great uh, action sequence. Um, but, uh, yeah, so she's clearly someone who, uh, has this sort of rebel streak within her. Um, and I thought that was very interesting. You, you just don't sort of see, uh, rounded female characters like that in, uh, you know, B movie action films of this ilk. No, she is, she is tough. I mean, the character that she's playing, she is tough. She is independent. I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, she is the quote unquote princess. I don't even know. Uh, if, if we, we know that she's Princess Halo is, is pretty yeah. much her name. The names amaze me. We have War Child and then we have Halo. War uh, you know, Child and Halo. Uh, yeah. obviously, obviously Halo is, is good and angelic. But, um, yeah, you know, they, they make her independent. And yeah, I like the fact that, I mean, you know, yes, she is the princess, but she is the complete opposite from being the damsel in distress. And yeah, that, yeah. that scene where she is competing in those, underground jousting tournaments i just have to laugh at it's pretty much yeah they're standing on top of these wooden stumps and then jousting yeah. one another the loser falls into pig manure i did have to kind of giggle at this scene because imagine the smell of this place and it's just amazing to me that people are choosing to drink and hang out and congregate <laughs> in this yeah. place that's filled with yeah. pig feces but yeah she she takes on um two opponents at the same time and the sound effects can we just say real quick, I mean, Isaac Florentine, his directing style is awesome. Again, it's reminiscent of the Power Rangers, but it all works. You know, Isaac Florentine, yeah. he choreographs, he directs his fight scenes so well. But I will say the sound effects are out of control in, <laughs> in this film. It's, I, I think, you know, love him or hate him, like Isaac does have his tropes. And particularly around this time, there is that feeling of, you know, he's stepping out of the... 
the quick edits and the sound, particularly those sound effects that he's lifting from that Power Rangers era. So every like move, sudden movement of like, you know, the gun or turn around or someone's head or move and there'll be a whooshing sort of sound effect that will accompany that. Um, and that's not just in this movie. I mean, that is a trait that you can see in a lot of Isaac's movies. Um, yeah. I mean, love it or hate it. It's, <laughs> it's an effect. Um, but it certainly, it gives the film, um, more of a, a, a fun demeanor, I would, I would say. Uh, I think that there's, um, it might be slightly overused. Um, but, but, uh, but then again, it does make it, uh, you know, a distinctly an Isaac Florentine thing. And it is one of those hangovers from, you know, that work that he was doing for a more family friendly audience. Cause you've got to remember that's, that's the world that he was inhabiting before. Um, and a lot of his movies, even though they play with ultra violence and, uh, bloods and there, it, there's moments of like bloodletting in this. And you would probably say this is a, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, an, it's an 18 certificate film here in the UK, but you know, there's nothing too gory or grisly about the movie. You could easily have sort of cuts back or pared back on a lot of the uh, bloodletting scenes, and you'd, you know, it would could still play as quite a fun Power Rangers esque adventure. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you felt the same, uh, Sean. It, it does. It it still has that fun playfulness to it. This movie. Oh yeah, and I think a lot of the playfulness is the fact that again it has that that fairy tale element to it. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I do have to just you know laugh. We we get a revelation that Ru Chang killed the king, and that was Halo's father. So of course Halo begins planning an escape, and the only one who's in on it. You know, it, it actually kind of amazes me. the The character of Halo is quite similar to Juliet. In a lot of uh, yeah. in a lot of instances from Romeo and Juliet, you know, yeah. both characters are looked after by a nurse character, and in this case, she pretty much has the exact archetype. She has that nurse who's looking after her, yeah. and so yeah, her nurse is in on this uh, in on this escape, and yeah, we we go to the wedding day, and again, I and I don't mean to keep harping on this, but the setting of this is so bananas. I mean, it is, it is so out there. Uh, Ru Chang's mercenaries, his army, they're all dressed in blues for the formalities. You know, these are, these are mercenary soldiers who we saw pretty much grim and dirty at the beginning. And now they're all in these blues Mm -hmm. and the cars outside of the church are from like the 1920s and thirties, but there's also horse-drawn carriages and Mm. many of the characters appear to be British. I mean, it is, it is out there. It is. Yeah. 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 Some of the creative decisions there, are, <laughs> you wonder how they kind of landed on this. And you're right, there'll be like a horse chase scene, but in the background, you see these quite modern office uh, buildings. I don't know if you remember that when she jumps on the horse and she legs it out of the, out of the wedding. It's all, it's very, it's very strange. And you do wonder whether that was just a hangover of, you know, the, the, the crew rocking up to this set in Bulgaria and just having to make do with what they had around them. Um, yeah, and a lot of the uniforms and the type that it is, it is a little bit random. You wonder whether it was just they made do with what, what they had available. And real quick before I forget, I don't know if you noticed this either, but there is some hilariously bad dubbing in this movie. Did, yeah. did you pick up on any of the dubbing errors in this film? Is this where there was certainly some bits early on? I think actually in that fight scene where they're fighting on the uh, the poles uh, bits, I think there was a bit of uh, bad lip syncing going on going on there. Is that right? 
There's that one, and then there's the scene. So if we go forward in the film a little bit. So, yeah, uh, let, let me back up real quick. So, yeah, um, yeah, Princess Halo, she basically fakes a fainting, and she is able to escape the wedding on horseback. So Ru Chang, he orders his top soldier, War Child, to find her and bring her back within a week's time so that he can go through with the with the marriage ceremony. But, yeah, um, he War Child rescues Halo twice. Once from these backwoods like rednecks, and the second time by these sleazeballs who appear to be selling girls for prostitution and slavery. But it's two, it's both of these fight scenes here where he rescues her, particularly from the, the guys who are kind of running the, uh, the prostitution slavery ring. But yeah, there, there's some dubbing there that is just, that it is off. I don't know what language these actors were initially speaking and when they, you know, yeah. brought it over here to the States, they had to dub it, but I did have to chuckle at, uh, at those scenes. <laughs> Yeah, I think there is there's there's quite a big sort of post production process that that must have gone on, on after they'd they'd done all their 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 scenes there. Um, yeah, it's interesting there. And just backing up on on that is that you know as much as you know the princess is this tough and powerful character, and she is portrayed as being that she's sneaking out and she can clearly fight. Um, yeah, there are a couple of instances there where you do she does end up being rescued by Dolph, but as soon as particularly in that scene you mentioned there where she's captured um uh on this sort of strange prostitution ring thing that's going on she's uh, kidnapped she's thrown in a sack and she's sort of ha- hanging there Dolph then does actually rescue her but then you know she then gets in on the action and does sort of fight fight back as well so she's not totally a you know a damsel in distress in in, in that sense so i thought that i thought that was quite good um I'm sure we'll, there's another instance as well that's later in the film, but I'm, I, I'm sure we'll come up to that <laughs> as we, as we walk, walk through the, through the movie. But I thought actually that, that was quite interesting. That, um, uh, middle section of the film where they're sort of building on the characters of, uh, the princess and war child. Uh, and I quite enjoyed that. The power dynamic between the two of them was quite interesting. So war child is obviously. You know, he's painted out to be someone who's not necessarily particularly an intelligent person. This is someone who has um, grown up to be an assassin and he's and he has uh, this loyalty towards uh, Rochang, um, the general. But also he has this sense of honor and he does look up to the princess as a leader, leader uh, as a leader. Um so I thought that was quite good because she sort of starts ordering him around and he's, you know, <laughs> being quite subservient to her. And that power uh, dynamic, I thought, was quite, quite interesting in, in the movie as well. And you do end up slightly feeling sorry for War Child in the sense that we know as an audience that, you know, the general is this murderous guy who's killed the king. He's killed the princess's father. What an awful man. But at that point, War Child doesn't actually know that. So we are we are privy to this information that. He doesn't yet know. So we're watching him being like, ah, oh, but you're wrong, you know. And eventually when that reveal does come out, then, then we're all, all on his side. And then he's fighting against the, the real evil in the movie. So yeah, I thought that little shift was, was, was quite good. Well, you know, and we're talking about, you know, Isaac Florentine and his flashy visual style. But, yeah. you know, this was this was 1998, 1999. So it, it, it's it's really wild to watch. But every action film around this time was trying to emulate the signature John Woo style. And so, yeah. again, we have lots of slow motion. Um, but, you know, the action sequences here are are really cool. Dolph is jumping and diving as he's firing a pistol. I mean, it's 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 really cool. And. You know, and can I just say, you know, and this is, was going to be part of my recommendation at the end, but just to see Dolph 
do what he does, but under that visual style, under that directing style of Isaac Florentine is awesome. I would love to see them work together again, especially nowadays, because I feel like both both the both of these individuals are professionals who are auteurs, you know, in a yes. sense. And so to see them and they've grown significantly since 1999. So I'd love to see what they can do nowadays, at the current stages in their career. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I think around this time as well. I, you, correct me if I'm wrong here, Sean, but um, you know, it seems to me that Dolph is, you know, he's in his early 30s. I think by this stage, uh, you know, and he's already, you know, he's been working in movies for such a long time, even by you know 99, um, and he seems to be feeling out different directors that he wants to work with. And I know, yeah, he did work with John Woo earlier in in um, uh, Blackjack. And then I believe that, you know, Isaac was recommended to Dolph because the two of them did know each other from their karate days. So way back in like the early 80s, I think Isaac did go over to Stockholm and and did meet Dolph Lundgren when he was just a, a karate, um, you know, expert back in um, Stockholm before the acting uh, started. So they did know of each other. Uh, but I think it's interesting that Isaac was apparently recommended to Dolph as someone that, oh, you want to work with this guy. Um, and I wonder if he was sounding out different directors because, you know, to, in order to harbour all of this knowledge from, you know, these seasoned filmmakers so that inevitably he would then step up to direct himself because he hadn't he hadn't directed a movie yet, had he, Sean? I think that that comes a little bit later in Dolph's career. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, and I I read something similar as well about this. You know, I think, you know, looking at Dolph's previous project that he had done with New Image, he was not 100% satisfied with the director and the director's style. Mm. And I think and I can't quote or I can't, you know, pinpoint which film it was, but I would not be surprised if it was Sweepers, the film that he had that he had done um, that was set in Angola and everything. But um, but yeah, no, it, it makes sense considering the the overall, I mean, if you look at it, the overall story and everything going on, the, the, the overall conceit is pretty silly and pretty ridiculous. But, yeah, yes. you got to hand it to, to Isaac Florentine um, to kind of elevate this and make it make it stand out. And I hate I hate going back to that, as I know I said that. But, I mean, that is really, I think, the um, one of the diamonds in the rough about this film is just the fact that mm. Isaac Florentine has his visual stamp on it. Mm. Yeah, and Sean. So, because you, I know you're going, your chronology, you're going through all of Dolph's Dolph's films chronologically. That wasn't easy for me to say. Um, but you know, as once you've now you've hit this one, I mean, how much you know compared to some of the movies he was making in the lead up to this? This one, you know, am I right in thinking this one does stand out quite a bit? Is it's it's pretty decent quality. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's of a lower budget than I mean, yeah. and that that's pretty apparent from. From some of the other stuff that he was doing. But the one thing that you have to give him credit for is, I mean, if you look at him all the way from Rocky Four to nowadays, every one of his roles, he's always trying something a little new. And, you know, like when I said earlier, you know, he's playing the uh, the mercenary with the heart of gold. I mean, he had done this type of character. If you look at Red Scorpion, Men of War, yeah. Silent Trigger, and now this one, he's pretty much playing that same uh you know, that, that, that same archetype or that same type of character, but every time he plays it, he's adding a little something new to it. And, you know, and that yeah. this is, and, and it's at this point in the film where I think we get to see Lundgren 
have that turn. You know, every one of those films where he's played that particular character, he always has a turning point where he realizes what he's been doing and who he's been working for is is not good. And he plans to make a stand and turn on his superiors. And so this is, I would say, this is at the point in the film where he decides to make a stand. Um, <laughs> Ru Chang arrives with his helicopters emblazoned with 666. I think that yeah. is it's still so bizarre. But yeah, he viciously slaps Halo. And so it's at this point where Dolph realizes, okay, you know what? I'm not standing for this. Apparently, he's also kind of built a uh, an attraction to Halo as well. But he does a really cool spinning back kick, sending Ru Chang yeah. spinning to the ground. Literally, I mean that I, I want to I want to stress literally when when Dolph kicks a guy, he is going to send that dude spinning <laughs> into yeah. the ground. Particularly under Isaac Florentine's direction, because he is a master of stuntmen spinning and jumping away from explosions, and you know those kinds of stunts is something he's he's particularly strong at. Yeah, no, yeah, and so he uh, so Lundgren's character Warchild he grabs Halo. The two start running, and this is awesome to see. You know, Dolph, who is a trained and accomplished martial artist. I mean, if you look at the films he had done prior to this. He had done a little bit of his martial arts work in Showdown a Little Tokyo, a little bit in I Come in Peace, but not a heck of a lot. I, I guess you could say The Punisher, but I don't really look at that as being martial arts too much. He was more or less kind of defending himself more than anything else. But in this one, he is finally able to really showcase these skills and what a guy to direct him um, is Isaac Florentine to do this. I do have to laugh as they're running, you know, you kind of touched upon it already, but we do get that helicopter chase. I do have to laugh how Warchild screams at Halo, get in the chopper. So yeah. <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder if that was a that. nod. Get in the chopper, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's there's some there's some pretty good lines and considering that, you know, this movie supposedly they'd rocked up and they had a whole new script. There's there are there are quite a few um lines in this movie that are, that I did particularly like that were quite um uh that were quite funny. I think I wrote a couple of them down. There's a bit where he holds the gun there's that uh he holds the gun up to that that guy at the end and he says, From this distance I would say the scope is unnecessary. I thought that yeah. was quite good. Where he holds the gun to his head. Yeah, there's a few like little funny um asides and some of the dialogue is quite uh, cheesy but quite but but good good natured and quite good fun. Um yeah, just going back on the martial arts points, um Dolph is in sort of peak physical condition here. I mean he's he looks really cool. Uh he's got a great sort of cropped blonde hair. Uh, he's got that sort of chiseled physique. He's clearly in, in really good shape. And apparently, um, they, I, I don't know whether they uh, deliberately howled back from making the movie or, um, or whether they were waiting for Dolph to actually obtain, I think his, uh, third degree, uh, black belt, third Dan black belt. Um, he was, he was training in karate quite extensively at the make, during the making of this movie. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's why we do get, you know, Dolph particularly uh, keen to to really jump in and get involved in a lot of the more physical aspects of the of the of the action scenes. Yeah, no, I would agree. You know, um, and we we like you said, we get to see him in in this physical condition. You know, Warchild is imprisoned by the rebels, and this is where the film once again reverts back to its fairy tale world. The setting now fits this because suddenly at this point everyone is on horseback. Um, one thing that I love about the character of Warchild is how he's almost a tall tale. He's known throughout the land and he's legendary. If, if you notice, I don't know if you picked up yeah. on that at all, but yeah, it's just, is that Warchild? Warchild? Warchild exists. Yeah. You know, he's like so. the John, the John Wick 
the John Wick of the medieval. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is the John Wick. Yeah. No. So th- that's that's what I love about it. But yeah, I read that as well that um, that he was training to get his his an, another belt to his uh, to his already impressive martial arts skills and resume. And Isaac Florentine, who is of course well versed in in the martial arts world, was totally supportive of that. So yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And as I say, they, you know, they have that strong connection because they are, um, you know, both um, karate uh, experts. Isaac in particular, I know, it, um, uh, was running his own schools and he was, you know, one of the uh, most famous karate practitioners in Israel at the time, particularly before he moved to uh, pursue his career in film in, in, in America. Uh, he was he was very well known as a, as a karate expert over there. So and still is as well. I believe he still, you know, trains and he does have um, a little cameo role in his latest uh, movie he did with Antonio Banderas, um, Acts of Acts of Violence, Acts of Revenge. Oh, I can't Act, remember what it's called. Acts of Vengeance. Yeah. No, I Act thought that was cool. Yeah. Because when I That's saw that, movie. it's a great movie. But then when you see him turn up as the as the sensei, it was like, no way! Like yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. But apparently they were like, because he doesn't like putting himself in his own movies. But they were like, well, you know, you, this we need to have a character of a seasoned karate professional, and that's exactly what you are. So yeah, unfortunately, you're gonna have to step in front of the camera. But that's a lovely moment in in that particular movie where he's seen to be training uh, Antonio Banderas in in that movie. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, Florentine obviously had a ton of, or excuse me, has a ton of respect for Lundgren. And so, yeah, he wanted to let Dolph exhibit those skills and what he is able to do, as opposed to, you know, Keone Waxman, that's who did Dolph's previous film, Sweepers. I think that director was pretty inexperienced and didn't really know what he was getting into. And that's that's really no discredit to, 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 to you know, to, to either the film or to Keone Waxman, but it is interesting. And again, looking at it, I don't know um, a film about landmines set in Angola. I don't know if that would have made sense if if Lundgren's character was using martial arts. But that that's one of the things, uh, one of the one of the few things about this film that needs to be mentioned is just the relationship that Dolph and Isaac Florentine had um, prior to the film and during the film. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Wouldn't it be great to see those two reunite and do another? Uh, you know, movie, and, and you're and you're right. The movies that Isaac's been making recently have been fantastic, uh, and you know that'd be great to see the two of those, you know, those guys working together again on on something that that would be awesome. Yeah. So, but going back to the film, so yeah, at this point, Warchild and Halo, they again team up with the rebel forces. They also embrace, presumably, falling in love. I have to ask, Ben, do you think that Lundgren and Valerie Chow have the best chemistry to fully sell this romance? <laughs> Well, um, maybe not, may, maybe not so much, but I mean, um, I think, you know, there was, they, 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 they've got quite a sweet relationship. Let's put it like that. And it does, you know, uh, you know, that is the catalyst for uh, Warchild eventually turning, uh, on Rochang. So, uh, you know, if that was the motivation that, uh, Warchild needed, then, then, then there we go. But yeah, maybe not the, the easiest of, uh, on-screen chemistries. But I would have to say, I thought um, that section of the movie where, you know, they're sort of in the uh, they're in the woods together. And then they once they escape, they do chance upon and are taken in by the village folks or the, the sort of peasants class, I guess, uh, which are planning this uh, rebellion and this revolution against um, uh, <coughs> um, the general. 
I thought that was that that would have been I put, I would have liked that to have maybe gone on a little bit longer because it looked like it was setting up uh you know this great uh, excuse for war child to then impart a lot of his uh fighting knowledge and wisdom onto the onto the villagers you could have had a nice you know montage section there where he's training everyone and you know you've got the princess there as their sort of figurehead and is leading this rebellion you kind of feel that's where the movie's heading in that final third it doesn't quite pan out like that um but you know if if they maybe had a bit more time a bit more budget they could have developed that aspect of the story a little bit more i think that that would have been quite quite interesting to have seen seen that yeah no but i do i do really appreciate and enjoy the final fight between Warchild yeah. and Ru Chang. So they they are able to square off outside the wedding, and it is it is a cool fight. One of the things I love about it is that it's done in daylight, and yeah. there of course lots of over the top sound effects, some slow motion. This is all occurring while Halo is trapped under a truck that is on the yeah. verge of exploding. But yeah. Warchild is able to get the upper hand. And he slashes the throat of Ru Chang with Ru Chang's own sword, which is fitting considering this is how Ru Chang liked to exert his power over so many. But it is a really cool fight. Again, we have some slow motion mixed with some fast cuts and it all works and it's all fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just great seeing those guys square off Kerry Tagawa and uh, Dolph um, up against each other again, like they were in Showdown Little Tokyo. So that was that was a great nod to that. Yeah, you've got uh, Halo trapped under the truck there, which are quite, um, I don't know, I I was, I was a little bit disappointed in that she didn't quite get to, because obviously the big reveal is that, you know, Kerry Tagawa's character has killed uh, her father, and that's the real revenge motive to the story. Uh, and it would have been quite fitting if it was actually the princess who then eventually, you know, did did, did kill the uh, the general in the end. But uh, it doesn't quite work out like that. We do get to see this great fight scene between Dolph and Kerutagawa. That's great. And then he just he kind of goes over to her and then just lifts up a truck. I was I mean, going to say not? that. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that. We get to see yeah. Dolph Lundgren reprise his role as He-Man. Once again, yeah. as he as he single handedly lifts up the truck that Halo is trapped under, I had to yeah. laugh at that. I mean, obviously the point the the film is ridiculous, but I think it was at this point where um, everybody involved was just like, yeah, this is made for a specific audience. You're either gonna love it, you're gonna hate it, you're gonna you're yeah. gonna roll with it one way or another. But yeah, I had to laugh at that as how he was able to lift the truck off her. But it's Dolph, yeah. of course, he's gonna be yeah. able to do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, but that's, um, but yeah, I would have liked, I, I, yeah, I would have liked that if the princess had maybe got that finishing move in there, but Hey, you know, you know, um, it was still, yeah, it was a, it was a satisfying ending to the movie, I think. Well, with Ru Chang dead, the, the rebels rejoice and in a voiceover, I, I had to kind of chuckle at this as well. You know, it, it establishes that, you know, both Halo and Warchild are falling for each other. And the end is a little lackluster. It, it, it's kind of weird how they chose to end this. So, yeah, the rebels all rejoice. And then it's all done in a voiceover where Lundgren's character says, it's over, to which Halo responds, no soldier. That's the one thing we haven't talked about is how she refers to him as soldier throughout this film. Not the most, yep. en- not the most endearing term. But in any case, <laughs> she responds and she says, no soldier. It's only the beginning. And the film just ends. I mean, it literally just... <laughs> It's it's almost like they just wanted to get to the to the finish line to those end credits and it just ends. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And I don't know whether would they have been planning a sequel to this? I don't know were their ambitions that uh, far reaching for <laughs> maybe a Bridge of Dragons too. Um 
Yeah, I'm not I'm I'm not too sure, but I guess, you know, that may well have just been a nod to, you know, what's the second phase of of this once, you know, <clears throat> the evil general is dead and now it's up to uh the princess to I guess try and get some normality back in this retro futuristic fairy tale world maybe. I don't know. Uh but yeah, a, a Bridge of Dragons 2 might have been interesting. I don't quite know what what what, uh, what would have happened well, in that. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> but you know, as as we get to the end, I mean, obviously the film is over. I'm, you know, we, we've kind of danced around, you know, our recommendations for this, you know, already. But I'm curious, Ben. I, I like I said, I, I always do two recommendations. I do as a film in general and as a Dolph Lundgren film. So, yeah. and like I said, we you've kind of touched upon this already. But why, in your opinion, does Bridge of Dragons get a recommend? both as a Dolph Lundgren vehicle and as a vehicle in general. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess if I was to look at this within the sort of Dolph Lundgren fan circle, I think it's pretty unique seeing a great filmmaker like Isaac Florentine, who has certainly been responsible to, for some of the best modern um, martial arts movies uh, in America. Um, <clears throat> so I think seeing Dolph and Isaac working together in a movie is is a very exciting thing. Kerry Tagawa, you can't get a more iconic and uh, better villain uh, for uh, you know a martial arts uh, movie around this time. I think he's um, he's he's really great. Uh, the action is is exciting. It's it's a fun movie. It's a little bit of a, a crazy movie, um, but um, just just story wise, there may be some flaws there but uh certainly while it's on it's an enjoyable movie listen this is coming from someone who i spent a, a lot of the the 90s watching a lot of these uh martial arts movies and some are absolutely terrible uh, and this uh by a long way is, is definitely not that it's it's um uh that isaac florentine's signature style <coughs> is very prevalent in this movie and that does sort of raise it from um, you know the, the the your average um martial arts b movie from this this time period you could then compare it to say well you know this movie was made in 1999 that was the same year that the matrix came out so uh you know if we're looking at it's from uh more in a wider context uh yeah maybe it doesn't hold up so well but um you know i do think there's a lot of sort of uh good dorky fun to be had with this with this film would you would you agree with that sean is that fair that's an excellent recommendation you know as i was watching this again in preparation for this you know i i think the the number one adjective i can use to describe this film is fun you know this is this is a fun movie it's not the most intellectually stimulating it's not one that's going to provoke a lot of conversation after viewing it um it's it's yeah. not it's not going to win any awards. Oddly enough, I think, you know, again, watching this and then watching a lot of those Power Rangers episodes with my little boy, I think it's similar to a Power Rangers episode in a lot of ways. You know, both yeah. of these projects, they're made for a very specific audience with some impressive martial arts skills thrown in the mix. And not to sound cliche, I know this is a cliche thing to say, but it's one of those films where you simply have to check your brain at the door and just revel yeah. in its silliness. Um, so if you can go into it with all of that in mind, I think that you're going to have a good time. If you're like me, then you'll have a constant smirk on your face the entire time, which, you know, which I did as well. If you're not laughing at the bizarre 
setting that this takes place or the over the top sound effects and everything. Um, some of the lines of dialogue that we mentioned, then you're going to yeah. have fun as a Dolph Lundgren film. It's not bad. You know, I, I honestly think he's, he's really not attempting anything new in terms of his character. Like I said earlier, he's played this type of character before with the exact character arc numerous times. Um, you know, like he's the mercenary with conflicting morals, but this is a character that he's proven he can excel at. And it's great to see him showcase his martial arts skills more than just a few times like he's done in other films. And mm. seeing him work under Isaac Florentine's visual style is awesome. I'd love to yeah. see Dolph and Florentine work together again. I think both of these professionals have grown so much in their careers that they could put together something really, really cool and really special one day. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I do uh, I, I do agree with that. And it's, it's an interesting one in... Um, uh, Dolph Lundgren's filmography as well, because this, I, I, I think, Sean, this is sort of where Dolph starts to really, you know, start appearing in a lot more of the lower budget, straight to video, you know, DTV end of the market, isn't it? Sort of Bridge of Dragons is, is the, the entry into, into that world. Um, which, you know, I'm sure there's, there's various varying quality over the, the years to come for, for Dolph, but that's why it's just so wonderful to see that, uh, you know, well, well, this career renaissance, I guess, has been going on since, you know, the Expendables movies. But, um, you know, particularly nowadays to see, you know, the, uh, you know, these great mainstream movies that he is now appearing in, which is what he deserves, you know, as, um, uh, being just a, a great screen presence, um, but also a really good filmmaker as well. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Well, Ben, before I let you go, I, we already talked about the uh, the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast, but again, it is a wonderful podcast. I enjoy listening to it. You have been able to get some wonderful interviews on there, and I'm looking forward to seeing it grow. Thank you so so much for for coming on and uh, and and helping me indulge in uh, in my passion as well. But um, yeah, so thank you very very much. I've had a good time. That's great. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for those kind comments. And thank you for inviting me on your on your podcast. And uh, yeah, best of luck with the uh, with the rest of the, the, the shows that you're doing. Hey, I appreciate that. Um, to everyone out there who is listening, especially Daryl Haynes, I've gotten a few responses from a lot of people who have been uh, who responded to me saying that they enjoy the podcast. But Daryl especially had some wonderful Wonderful comments and uh, words of praise. So thank you for that. But uh, everyone else out there listening, please feel free to review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast. I must break.